I'm glad to be together with you, church. Uh, we started this, a new series last week that we've just called Square One. Um, and at the beginning of the school year, um, even, even if you don't have kids, there's like a rhythm in our culture of like school. Uh, and I think it's driven primarily by traffic. Like who notices when the kids go back to school because it takes forever to get anywhere in the mornings, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. So even, uh, even if we don't have kids in school, we're affected by the semesters and things like that. Um, and as, as, as kids are going back and they're getting their feet back under them, they're already starting to feel the stress of homework assignments that the, are overdue and things like that. Uh, I'm reflecting on like, what are, what are some of the essentials? What are some of the basics? And can we strip off some of the extra stuff that maybe we've picked up along the year and just reset uh, and get back to square one? We want to build our faith on what's, on what's the, the most solid foundation. So that's what this series is designed to do. We've been looking together at, uh, at a letter to the Ephesians. Um, and so if you want to turn there, it's on page 216 in these blue Bibles, uh, which will be tucked under the chairs in front of you, 216. Uh, letter in Ephesians. How many of you have ever had the experience of reading somebody else's like text messages? Um, I, you, maybe you shouldn't raise your hand. Uh, have you ever like glanced at somebody's phone and seen something that maybe it's related to you or related to somebody you knew and like in like you read the one line and you're like that doesn't make any sense what do I, that's not right like what are they doing and what does that mean and how do these things fit together and and you realize uh, maybe briefly that uh, this wasn't meant for you uh, this wasn't written maybe it was meant for you but it wasn't written to you um, and you're reading something that doesn't necessarily belong to you has anybody had that experience yeah? Okay, so when we come to the Bible, this, this, this section, uh, this part of Scripture, um, or what the, what the church is commonly called epistles, that's a fancy word for letters. And so I just want you to know that as we come to this book of Ephesians, what we're reading is a letter to people that are not us. We're reading somebody else's mail, which is a felony, but it's, it's published, it's public. So I think we can get away with it. We're reading somebody else's mail. And so there are some things that are going to be like, I don't really get, like I'm familiar with that, but how does that relate to me? And that's the challenge this morning. It's not difficult to understand what he is saying. What, what the challenge comes is how does it relate to what I'm going through and what I'm facing? So um, hopefully we can, we can get some, some groundwork laid out here together this morning. But as we begin, I'd like to invite you to pray together with me. It's our, it's our habit together to pray the disciples' prayer. It's just the model of prayer that when, when the disciples of Jesus asked him, hey, how do we pray? He says, this is what it looks like. And so when we get together, we like to pray that together. Uh, it's easiest to not stumble over each other, so we say the same words, but this isn't a magic spell. Uh, it's not going to call down blessings from heaven on you. In fact, it'll probably make your life difficult if you pray it with your whole heart, but let's pray it together. Um, and you can pray out loud if you'd like to, but at the very least, would you bow your hearts and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, and Pastor Ryan last week covered, for, or Ephesians chapter 1, excuse me, covered verses 1 through 14 
um, which that chunk of like I don't in the in the original in the Greek is actually all one sentence, which is mind-boggling. You're like that's a that's a whole novel in and of itself. It's all one sentence. We're going to get to the second sentence of of the book today uh, and start in Ephesians chapter one verse fifteen. And I'm going to read all of the section. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter here. Um, and just so that we can kind of dip our toes in, and then we'll begin to digest it a little bit together, okay? Ephesians 1, verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having, eye, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God blesses the reading of his word. As we, as we come to this text, there's times where I get a little bit overwhelmed. Um, I was telling, I think, Jessica this week, I'd much rather like preach a story, tell a story, a passage of, of Scripture that's a narrative. Um, and I really do struggle like dissecting and preaching the epistles, these letters. Um, it, it's just difficult for me. My brain doesn't work in a logical order. I'll just, I guess, I don't know, that's the only way I know how to say it. Um, so there's an exercise that I learned from another pastor that's called irreducible minimum. I don't know if you've ever heard this. And now, now before we start throwing accusations of, uh, of heresy and me taking things out of, the, out of the, the scriptures, I'm not saying that the words that we don't highlight are not important. And I'm not saying that we're not going to talk about them. I'm saying that as a starting point, this is a good place to start. So what you do is you take a big block of scripture like this and you uh, underline the essential words that communicate the, the idea of what, he's, of what he's talking about. Okay, I know some of you have had this experience. You've ever talked to a preacher and how they just kind of fill up paragraphs with extra words that you don't actually need? You, you can point at me, it's all right. I do it all the time. So, so Paul is a preacher by trade and so when he writes, he sometimes just adds some extra words because he wants, to, he wants to be clear. So he's adding caveats and he's embellishing a little bit. He wants us to understand the weight of what he's saying. But sometimes all of those embellishments can, can be confusing. So, so the, the process of irreducible minimum is I just want to understand the basics of the sentence. So I've got a big block of scripture like this. But as I go through, I might underline, uh, underline these words. Um, because I have heard of your faith in Jesus, uh, I can't even see the underlying uh, or the highlighting. It's difficult when, it, when it's a highlight and not underline. Uh, because I have heard of your faith in Jesus, I pray that God may give you wisdom and knowledge of Him, that you may know the hope, the riches of His inheritance, and His power towards us who believe. So just 
let's cut out the fluff for a minute and understand the basics of what he's trying to say in this paragraph. Because I have heard of your faith in Jesus, I pray that God may give you wisdom and knowledge of him, that you may know the hope, the riches of his inheritance, and his power towards us who believe. So, basically, Paul is writing to this church, this congregation uh, of, of people that are following Jesus, and he says, hey, look, because I've heard about your faith in Jesus, because I know that you already have trusted Jesus, I pray for you. And when I pray for you, I pray that God may give you wisdom and knowledge of him. I pray that God will help you to understand who God is, who, what his character is, uh, that you may know the hope, the riches of his inheritance, and his power towards us who believe. So that's, that's essentially what he's trying to communicate. Hey, I pray for you, and I pray that God will show you hope. I pray that he'll show you how rich his inheritance is, and I pray that he'll show you his power towards us who believe, all right? So is that helpful, maybe, a little bit? Yeah? Um, it's, a, it's a helpful exercise, and what's crazy about this is in a year, I might go back to this. Like, personally, I might go back to this and go, what was I thinking? And I'll underline some different lines, and I, you can create a different sentence with a different emphasis. Like, it's, this is not an exact science, but sometimes it is helpful, uh, particularly as we're praying and being guided by the Holy Spirit, to get to uh, an essential message. Not that we're going to ignore everything else, because we are going to dive deep here, but... Uh, as a starting point of like, what, what's the essential message? So what, what all you need to know about this passage is Paul saying, because I know that you guys are Christians, I pray for you. Cool. End the sermon. We can go home, right? Uh, let's look at these, these first verses here in 15 and 16. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my Prayers. Now, what's interesting to me about this is that one of the signals, one of the signs that we are putting Jesus first is a love for other followers of Jesus. One of the ways that we know that we are putting Jesus first is if God is growing in us a love for other people who are also following Jesus. And that's a little bit counterintuitive because I'm like, well, I love Jesus, so I should be growing in my love for Jesus. Well, yes, um, but I don't, like, Jesus, by and large, for most of us, for most of our experience, is invisible, right? And so how do we know that our love for this invisible person that we're living with is, is growing? He grows a love for us and the people that we can see and the people that are also following him. One of the signs that we're putting Jesus first is the love for other followers. Now, this is both for the Ephesians and for Paul, because in the, to the Ephesians, he says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. So I know that your love is genuine because you also love church people. There, I said it. It's hard to love church people. And one of the ways that I know that you are following Jesus is you love church people. We're, we're in a season where it seems like everybody wants to be mad at everybody else in the church. And yes, we all ought to know better. And yes, we all ought to do better. But one of the signs that we're following Jesus well is if we love his bride. And loving church people is a sign that Jesus has actually done a transformative work in our heart. Those of us who carry some wounds might feel a little hallelujah coming up. I'm not saying that the wounds aren't real, and I'm not saying that we don't have to deal with them. I'm not saying that, that we have to, uh, to, to just um, 
to just shove things under the rug. I'm saying we deal with the problems and we move forward in love. And also for Paul. So Paul's, a sign of Paul's love for Jesus is that he not only loves these other believers that he's taken the time and the expense to write to, but he also takes the time and the expense to pray for them and for their love. So uh, one of the signals that we're putting Jesus first is love for other people. Um, Jesus first comes first. Our love for Jesus comes first. Um, now, I, I have some criticism in myself because I am really, really quick to point out that our relationship with God is often, uh, is often measured. A good barometer for our relationship with God is our relationship with other people, um, which is true. But when, when Jesus is asked explicitly, like, what's, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God first. Jesus first comes first, but then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The two are not mutually exclusive. I've been in a whole room full of people that love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and yet would, would, uh, would not care at all if their neighbor fell off a cliff. The two are not mutually exclusive, but we also want to put them in the correct order. Jesus first, loves first. We forgive as we have been forgiven which we've already prayed together. I told you that prayer would mess up your life. Father, forgive me the way that I forgive other people. I don't think we think too much about what that is when we're praying it, but we could spend all day there, and maybe we will one day. The question is, are we thankful for God's work in others? Do we spend enough time to be thankful, not only for God's work in our lives, and not only for his provision, and not only the things that he gives to us that are a blessing to us, but are we thankful also for God's work in other people's lives? And how do we express it? How do we show God that we're thankful for the work that he's doing in other people's lives? Paul, just really simply, sets an example of, hey, I, I see that your faith is real, and I'm praying for you. And I'm praying that God would take you even deeper, that he would show you more. But there are other ways to express that gratitude to God for the work that he's doing. Maybe giving time, taking somebody out to coffee, hearing their story, celebrating with them the, the work that God's doing, the things that they have to celebrate, uh, weeping with them when God is doing something hard in their life. Are we thankful for God's work in others and how do we express it? Our big idea this morning, I hope we're in the right order. Yeah. Uh, we work, well, it's been a couple of weeks since the PowerPoints worked correctly. It's been my fault every time, so I'm excited that this is working. <laughs> we work hard to journey together because Jesus is paving the way. Jesus is paving the way. Let's continue reading in verse 17. So, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. So from a, a starting point, we, we really need to start, start where uh, Pastor Ryan was leading us last week, that God picked you to be in Christ for his purpose. That first, that first sentence of this letter uh, is just unpacking that it's, it's all the work of God. Like, 
If you go back and you read through it, you might be like, okay, well, what do I, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And if you're an action type person, type A, like let's get something done, like those first verses of Ephesians are probably going to be frustrating. You're like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? There's nothing to do. Jesus has done it all, and that's the foundation of our faith. If we want to start at square one, we start with Christ and the work that He has doing, the work that He is doing, and the work that He promises He's going to finish in completion. That's the foundation of our faith. God picked you to be in Christ for his purpose. But this this verse 17 is fascinating because you see all three members of the Trinity kind of working in concert, that the God of our Lord, Jesus Christ, so Jesus Christ has obviously done all of this work of of laying down his life and and pouring out his blood on our behalf, but the God of him, the, the, the Father of glory, may give the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. So you've got Jesus, Father, sending the spirit of wisdom, like it's all three are there working together. Um, and we just finished a series about the spirit of wisdom um, called Signal in the Statics. If you haven't listened to that, you can check it out on the website or the podcast or wherever it is that you like to look at things, YouTube. Um, but the spirit of wisdom is calling out in the streets. He's there, she's there and inviting us to walk in her ways. And a revelation of God's character. Probably uh, my favorite verses in scripture come out of Jeremiah chapter 9. Let's see if I can do it from the top of my head. Jeremiah chapter 9 verses 22 and 23. Um, Thus says the Lord, let not he who is rich boast in his riches, let not he who is wise boast in his wisdom. Uh, not, let not he who is strong boast in his strength, but let the one who boasts boast in this that he knows me. To know God, to know his character, his steadfast love for thousands, and to walk in his ways is is perhaps the most important thing that we could invest our lives in. So Paul here is praying that they would grow by the spirit of wisdom, so the spirit by which all of creation was organized, by the spirit of wisdom in the knowledge of his character, revealing the knowledge of his character. And you're like, well, it's revealing. Like, like what, how, do I, how do I get there? Like, what does that look like? Like, he's revealed it. Like, he's, he's said a lot of words. I don't know if you've noticed that God said a lot of words about himself. And there's some times where I'm like, God, I wish you would just tell me who you are. Tell me what you would like to do. And he's like, well, I already said a lot of words that you just let and collect dust. But as Paul prays for the Ephesians and he prays that God would reveal his character He's functionally praying that they would spend time in what he has already said and come to see how he's clearly worked in history and how he's working things out now. That our hearts would be enlightened. And I think this is the thing. Like, like there's times where we know something and we know it and, and it's like the light bulb goes off, right? Like, I, oh, I know that fact. I've heard that story. You know, <clears throat> um, you know Noah, Noah splitting the Red Sea, Right? Okay, cool. The light bulb has to stay on sometimes. It was Moses that split the Red Sea. Noah did the boat thing, remember? <clears throat> There's times where we become familiar with the story and the light bulb goes off and we, and we forget that these were actual people that were standing on the shores of an actual sea that actually walked through on dry ground. And we can be like, I wish God would like do something in the world. And he's like, have you not been paying attention to what I've been doing? Are you not fascinated and captivated by the story that I've been telling in humanity? Our hearts are enlightened. 
The light bulb comes on and when we remember. And it is not, to know God is not burdensome. Jesus says, and if you are burdened, come to me. Take my, my load, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To know God and to know his work and to know his character is not burdensome, particularly when we can look at it through the lens of Christ, who has done all of the labor on our behalf, who has completed the only thing that we could never accomplish, no matter all of our striving or all of our praying or all of our weeping. Jesus has done and gone and entered where we could never make it on our own. And so when we look at that, we go, what do I have to be upset about? What do I have to be burdened by if Christ has carried every sin to the cross and not only swept it under the rug, but washed it clean and completely forgiven it? What do I have to be burdened by today? That our hearts would be enlightened. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? So if we switch back into the irreducible minimum, because I have heard of your faith in Jesus, I pray that God will give you wisdom and knowledge of him that you may know the hope, the riches of his inheritance and his power towards us who believe. Hope, inheritance, and power. I, need you, I want you to grow in your knowledge and your understanding of these three things. Grow in hope. Now I'm the cynic. I need this. I need to grow in hope. <clears throat> Naturally, I'm the cynic. I'll say that. In Christ, I'm a new creation. <clears throat> hope. So I was trying to figure out how, how to tie these things together. And, and, and Pastor Ryan talked us through uh, chapter 1, verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Like God is, God is working together in Christ and in our personal salvation, personally saving each of us. He's working together a plan that's not only about you and not only about people, but that he's uniting together all things in creation in his son. And there's a lot there, and I don't think I can unpack a whole, a whole bunch, but there's a lot of things to hope for in that. And this reminded me, uh, because I am sometimes unsettled. Like, I, I need to know. Like, can you give me more? Can you tell me more? How's this going to work? When are you going to show up? Because it seems like you're not doing enough. And I wish that you would... Blah, 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 blah. And I can, I can give God a laundry list of, of, of things that he ought to be doing and forget that he's got a plan and he's working it out. I have some children like that, and I won't name them to protect them, that need to know what we're doing every step of the way, 10 steps beforehand. And that drives me bonkers. Because I know as a grown-up that sometimes the plan changes on the way, right? Sometimes I have to adapt because I'm not omniscient. I don't know everything that's going to happen. And sometimes I just got to make it up as I go, right? So if I tell you this is where we're going to go and then something happens and we got to shift, like now, now the whole plan is in ruins. Well, no, the plan's not in ruins because this is the thing we're going to do. But we're just going to get there a different way. And I can't wrap our heads around that. Okay. Uh, we'll put it on some movies, all right? This is Gandalf the White. <clears throat> There's a scene that's not in the movies I want to tell you about um, because it really is a beautiful picture. Um, in, in the last book, Return of the King, um, 
Frodo has been has been restored to health. You know, they've destroyed the Ring of Power. He's been restored to health, and everybody moves back to Gondor, the city of the king that they've all like established, and they're all kind of hanging out. And they hang out for like a year um, after the the ring is destroyed, and Frodo has been hanging out. He had this grand adventure, and this is what I think Tolkien is genius about because he realizes that the story doesn't end after the story ends. <clears throat> and he tells this story of Frodo hanging around for like a year, and he's like, "Man, I just want to go home." Like, what, what's going on? Like, I did the thing. I left home. I didn't want to go. I did this thing. It was really hard, and now it's over, and now I just want to just go home. Like, this palace is nice, but it's not my hole in the ground that I feel comfortable in. I just want to go home. And he's kind of talking with Gandalf about this thing, and they're talking about how things go wrong in the world and how we have to serve. And, 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 and Frodo looks to Gandalf, and he says, like, I, I just wish I knew how all this was going to, like, land. Like, I don't feel like I've landed, and I don't know how the world's going to land. Like, yes, king is on his throne. Like, I can see that, but, like, how does that, display, how does that work out to the rest of Middle Earth? How does all of this flesh out? How does everything get fixed? I don't understand. I can see that it started, but I know it's not done yet. And I've quoted this to my children ad nauseum, and they hate me for it. This is probably the only thing I quote to them more than the Bible. Many folk, Gandalf says to, to Frodo, he says, many folk like to know beforehand what is to be set on the table. But those who have labored to prepare the feast like to keep their secret. For wonder makes the words of praise louder. Many folk like to know beforehand what is to be set on the table. But those who have labored to prepare the feast like to keep their secret. For wonder makes the words of praise louder. God has a plan for every single detail of creation. And every single detail of creation is working towards his plan. And even those things which have been crafted specifically to disrupt his good work will ultimately turn out to serve his purpose. We have hope that God has a plan. And whether I understand every step of it, it is going to be finished. He showed himself strong throughout history. He's showed himself to have an intimate knowledge of how evil works in the world. And he's demonstrated his ability to overcome it. I can trust him. We can walk in hope. And an inheritance. Not just an inheritance, but, but to know the richness, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Like, I want to know the, like, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, when we, when we all get to heaven, like, we can sing those songs. And, you know, that's fine. Um, we can look towards, like, this, this place, and we can kind of imagine what it would be like to be in a place where there are no tears and sin doesn't exist, and we can communicate with our loved ones without them misunderstanding. And there's all of those things that go wrong, like, all of those things that are broken become fixed. Like, we can kind of imagine what that might be like. Um, but really, do we understand the value of it? Like we, we can probably, and we know the price of it. We know that Jesus paid the price to make it all happen, and we know that it's going to happen. But do we know the value of it? There's a, a, I don't know anything about Oscar Wilde except that he said this, and I've never forgotten wherever I heard it from. A cynic is a man who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Do we know the value of the inheritance? that we've been brought into. We are fully adopted with all the rights and privileges of a natural family. And 
for those of us who don't come from a Jewish background, like we, there's a whole, all the Old Testament is not to us. And then suddenly we're in the story. Like we didn't belong here, but we're adopted fully into the family and, and we get all of the privileges of inheritance. I don't really understand all the mechanics of how it works, but I look at it and go, God, that's incredible. And we have a guarantee in chapter one, verse 13, the Holy Spirit is our down payment. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit that that inheritance is on its way. Maybe the Holy Spirit's being held as collateral. <laughs> we get to heaven and God's like going to renege. No, 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 you gave me the Holy Spirit. You want me to walk out with this? Because I'll take it. The Holy Spirit is our down payment. He's sealed. But, 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 but in describing all of that, it just makes me wonder, like, what are the entanglements of this world that are pulling us away from full hope and a perfect restoration? What are the things that we're caught up in, that we're entangled with here, that, we, that we're burdened by, that are, that are distracting us from the full hope of a completed restoration? And perhaps we should spend some time wondering, what do I have to be burdened by? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Verse 19, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fits all. What is the power that we have in Christ, that God is already working in Christ? It is the power of the resurrection that can take a corpse and bring it back to life. Not just life, but restored life. The power has been worked. Jesus actually came back from the dead. We, t- like, probably the most common signal of Christianity is the cross, and, and I don't want you to throw away your cross necklaces, but that's not where my hope lies. My hope lies in an empty tomb. I, I, I thank Jesus for the cross. I thank him for his sacrifice. I know that that was the price that had to be paid for me. And yet my faith is built on the resurrection Not that he stayed dead, but that he walked back out of the tomb. And we have historical reason to believe that that's true. Multiple accounts. If we want to talk about historical facts, this is the one to wrestle with. If you're you're skeptical about Jesus, you're not sure about faith, you're not sure where to start, like this is the question to answer. Did Jesus, the historical human being, come back from the dead when he said he would? A man can say, I'm going to go there and they're going to kill me because you can tick the right people off and make sure that's going to happen. But it takes somebody special to say, I'm going to go there and they're going to kill me. And after a certain amount of time, I'm going to come back from the dead. Are we building our life on the power of Jesus' resurrection? And his authority. Because 
after his resurrection, God then raised him up and seated him at his right hand, uh, the, the, the place of authority in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Now, rule and power and authority and dominion like, just sound like words to you, but as a Jewish person, when you read those words, you begin to think of angelic beings. Like those words are key words for ranks of angels and ranks of anti-angels. Like when, when, when he throws that word in there, when he throws those words in there in that sequence, every Jew at that time is, is thinking like mighty spiritual beasts. We, we, didn't, we didn't get that, right? <clears throat> but, but for them, they're thinking of cherubs and seraphs, like these, these spinning fiery wheels with eyes all over the place and, and these mighty forces that every time they walk into a room, everybody falls down dead and they have to say, hey, 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 don't be afraid. I just come on behalf of the guy that sent me. Like, you don't have to worship me. Like, you should be worshiping God. Like, these powerful entities. And Jesus is above all of them. We need not be afraid of all the spiritual forces of darkness that want to oppose us because Christ has defeated them all, and ultimately, they will be shown to be serving his purpose. And while he's seated in the heavenly places, he continues his presence on earth. Not only, or, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I, I, I missed this the first couple of times. But even as Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in power and the name above every other name, he leaves his presence on earth in us if we follow him. Church is not a building. Church is actually the people of God, the, the gathering of those who have trusted Jesus to redeem them and save him. And he puts us together in a body. We'll get into that. It, it gets, there's more pictures to come. But he, he just says, like, Jesus is the head over the body. And the body is here on earth. I'm, I'm on earth. Maybe most of us are too. And as we follow Jesus, his presence resides in us, in his creation, while he reigns in heaven. Now, there's limits to human language to unpack all of the implications of this. But how are we Jesus' presence in our neighborhoods this week? Do you know what most people do on Sunday morning? They sleep in. If they're not asleep, you know where they are? I can guarantee you where they are right now. Grocery store. Every time. I, if, if we travel, I don't always go to church if we're traveling. And if we travel and I end up in a grocery store on Sunday morning, every person in the city... That's not in church, it's in the grocery store. They're in bed, they're in the grocery store, or they're at church. We're here. What are we? We're, we're here celebrating Jesus. Like the presence of Jesus is here because we have set aside this time that we're gonna we're gonna lay aside every other burden and we're gonna focus on him. This is a good place to start. And we can we can lock arms with one another and we can look at the things that are going on in one another's lives and we can lift one another up. We can pray for one another and we can encourage one another that you, Jason, would grow in the knowledge of God and that you, uh, oh gosh, I'm sorry. It's not working. Glenn, yes. I don't know why I had Gary. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Here we go. Ah, 
Glenn, you, Glenn, would grow in the hope of the resurrection. And Jesse, that you grow in, in the richness of his inheritance. Steve, that he has the authority to do all of it. And he's gonna. We can walk in that and we can lift one another up in that. And we can be the presence of Christ because we are journeying together because he is paving the way. We can learn, grow deeper, Explore the word. And we can take what we learn about God and we can serve people outside this building. We can actually cross the street to the neighbors and we can do things for them and not expect anything in return just to show them that Christ loves them. And we can continue to gather and continue to do the hard work of journeying together as each of us puts Jesus first and we grow in love for one another. That's a really, like, it's a really beautiful picture. And it's not one that I would have come up with. That's not the way that my head works. But that's what Christ is doing in us if we'll cooperate with him. We work hard to journey together because Jesus is paving the way. Let's pray together. Lord, sometimes it can be real simple to see. Like, this is what the words say. And we can come to a place of understanding and say, okay, well, I understand this is what the words mean. But God, today we lay our lives out before you and ask you to inspect them. That as we come face to face with your words and what they say and what they mean, that Lord, you would do the work of showing us how to walk in them. God, if there's something in my talking that has been just my opinion or distracting or my own failures, God, I pray that those things would be quickly forgotten. But Lord, where your word has been proclaimed today, I ask that it would shine strong that it would embed itself in our hearts, that you would encourage and strengthen us as we go into this week. That we might take the risk of loving somebody like you love us. That we might go first in showing forgiveness. Not so that we can feel good about ourselves or, or so that we can, I don't know, whatever it is that we want and think is going to be satisfying to us, but so that your name above all can be glorified. Because if you can take a person like me and grow love towards others in them, I don't think there's anything you can't do. We thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.